If you have your Bible, uh, I'm going to be in Genesis chapter 37. And you're like, whoa, Jesse, we've been in John for a while. Yeah, well, we're changing things. Uh, we're in a new series today. And so uh, Genesis 37 is kind of where we will uh, kick off and begin if you want to find that in your copy of the scriptures. As many of you know, and I, I bring up quite often because I only have so many illustrations and stories to choose from, uh, I used to be a social worker and I used to work with kids and families in all sorts of scenarios and situations. And um, many years ago, one of the first uh, families that I worked with was a, a group of uh, teenage girls. And so I'm thinking, if I remember right, about an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old uh, sibling group. Uh, and they had been in their home for several months before I was ever in the picture, before they ever had a caseworker. That's, a, that's another story for why that timeline matters. But, but I, I go to work with this family. It's for the very first time I'm meeting these girls. And any good social worker will tell you, like, you need to, like, you talk as a family and you group. But, but like, these girls have uh, a story, they have a history, they have, they, have, they, they have a need to connect with someone, and I am their social worker primarily, and so you always want to have a moment where you're like, let's go for a walk, and you just tell me what's going on and how things are going. And so I'm talking to these two girls, 11-year-old and 13-year-old sisters as we're walking, and the 13-year-old, uh, oldest, any oldest siblings in the room? Any, you're the oldest, you're the one who's got it all put together, you're the smart one, you're the one who, like, uh, yeah, so this, the older of the two sisters was very put together, very, like, very determined, very driven, very much like I'm going to get things done. And uh, just really is like, I, I really hate this situation. It kind of stinks, but wasn't really having any difficulty with it. It was just kind of an unwanted moment for her to have to live in a home that wasn't her own. But her little sister, on the other hand, like all of a sudden her grades have plummeted. Like she was a straight A student before coming into this home. And as you can imagine, when you got a lot on your mind, grades aren't as important. And so the 11-year-old, her grades were dropping. She was getting in trouble at school when she had never gotten in trouble at school. And it's not the big stuff. Like she was just talking in class and, you know, kind of disrespecting the adults and things like that. And so I'm talking to her about it and I ask her, I say, you know, what's, what's going on with that? And she's just like, I don't know. I don't, I just don't, I don't know. And then she says this thing to me. I've, it was the first time I'd heard somebody say something like this. She says, I just want to meet my dad. And it's like, well, tell me about that. And she says, I've never met my dad. He's, he's been in prison my entire life. I just want to meet my dad. And I couldn't figure out why she's asking about dad as we're talking about school and behavior and school. And, and I said, I said, okay, well, can you tell me why? Like, what, what is it? Like, how do these things connect? And she says, I want to meet my dad so that I can figure out why I am the way that I am. And I was like, whoa. And in my heart, I'm thinking that can't be right. Like you, you are not based on your family of heritage, even people you've not met. But guess what I've come to learn and what you probably already know is that the way family dynamics work is that very often, even people we've not met, grandparents, great grandparents, even generations before that, if we rewind far enough, uh, that, that there are patterns that end up in families that get passed down from generation to generation to generation. Have you found that to be true in your experience? I, I think so. I think she was onto something. Her 11-year-old brain maybe didn't fully understand what she was saying, but she really desperately had these mysteries, these question marks in her heart. And for her, the, the answer was, I need to figure out who my dad is so I can figure out who I am and why I am the way that I am. And so today, we're going to begin a series on Joseph. Joseph is a character in Genesis. He's an Old Testament character. 
And um, he, is, uh, he, he is a guy who comes from a family, let's just call it a, a dysfunctional family. I thought about doing a poll right here, but I don't want to call anybody out. But just imagine, you know, just kind of do this. If you're going to raise your hand, don't raise your hand fully. But anybody here come from a dysfunctional family? Like you just, like, like raise your hand if you come from a family with no dysfunction at all. We can brag about that. Anybody? Everybody look around real quick. There are no hands up in the room, right? Everybody knows this, that, that there, there is no such thing as a fully functional, non-dysfunctional family. And yet, a lot of times we believe and we act like, well, it's just my family who has all the dysfunction and all the problems in the world. Uh, I was Googling, and like we use the term dysfunction. Uh, what is a dysfunctional family? Um, and I, I got to thinking, like, I don't really know the definition. I just kind of, it's one of those things, like, you know it when you see it, right? Like, I, I, I couldn't tell you a definition of dysfunctional family, but that family is definitely that. And I'm pointing to a blank part of the room, by the way, nobody's over there. Um, and so I, I thought, well, who, who knows what a dysfunctional family is? Well, it turns out there is a blog post by the Mental Health American National. Uh, I assume they know some things about mental health. Uh, and the title of the blog post is, Is My Family Dysfunctional? Question mark. And then it lists all the things that makes a family dysfunctional. Um, is my family dysfunctional? And they, they had this whole blog post that's worth looking at. I, I can send it to you if you, if you're like, I don't know if my family's dysfunctional, but because nobody raised their hands, I think we all know. Uh, and so they listed these things. Um, it may come up on the screens behind me, but, uh, things like, uh, addiction. Uh, a family with addiction, a family with abuse or neglect, uh, a family that has conditional love or just lacks affection in general. Families that, that have this would be listed as dysfunctional. Families on the other end of the spectrum, families that have perfectionism, you have to be perfect in every way, uh, would be listed as dysfunctional. Families that are unpredictable or prone to fear, full of fear, where it's just every day is just like your little nervous chihuahua mode and that's dysfunctional. A, a family that has a lack of boundaries where it's just not really clear like what, what privacy and when, when do I have a right to, you know, you know, things and families in general with poor communication, poor communication skills. And so I read that list and I thought, well, by golly, that's just about everybody, isn't it? That seems to cover the whole gambit of things. Is my family dysfunctional? When we, when we talk about this as, as groups and as families ourselves, we say things like, well, my family's dysfunctional and that's why I'm blah, 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 blah. When we talk about it as ourselves, we say, well, listen, I know I have anger problems, but I come from a dysfunctional family, right? And so we use these terms, dysfunction, not really as excuses, but I'm not really going to work on it, or maybe there's nothing I can work on. There's nothing I can do about it. Uh, I've got really great news for you. If you're like feeling really down right now, like because nobody raised their hands on the, I'm the functional family, um, let me just tell you, uh, just as a rule, uh, God doesn't use perfect families. He just doesn't. And you think, well, that's bold. How can you say that? It's because there are none. <laughs> there are no perfect families that are not dysfunctional. There's something in every family tree that if, if you come, if you have a good family and you're a strong family, it doesn't take far to look in your family tree to see that somebody did some work. Somebody changed something to change that family tree. God doesn't use perfect families because there aren't any perfect families. We're going to, we're going to look at a story uh, for the next several weeks of a guy named Joseph. Uh, 
who comes from a dysfunctional family, and yet God uses his family. More, more than God using his family, God selected this family out of all of humanity and say, I'm going to work all of my purposes through this family. And yet we're going to find that they are completely jacked up from the beginning. Like they have problems from the beginning. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, I, I don't think God can use me uh, or my children are at risk and God can't use them because I come from a dysfunctional family. This is meant to be an encouraging moment because from broken beginnings, God writes beautiful stories. The story of what we're going to read today, this family tree that we're going to read today of Joseph and his family, uh, this is the family tree by which Jesus will flow from. And so the same Jesus that we just sang about, we just worshiped through the Lord's Supper, who died on the cross, who accomplished the perfect things. If you rewind enough generations, you end up in Joseph territory and then Jacob territory and Abraham territory. And we're going to see how these families are broken. And so uh, if you could, with me, uh, put on your imaginary social worker hat. As a social worker, I would go into families' homes, and uh, I, I would ask, like, okay, tell me about your grandma. And it's like this big confusing story of, well, listen, I had six grandmas, and here's why. And it's like, it's all over here, and aunt, uncle, brother, so-and-so. It's just like, hold on just a second. I have no idea what you're talking about. And so what we learn to do as social workers is draw, it's a type of family tree, but it's called a genogram. Uh, anybody, have you ever heard of a genogram? Yes, yes? Okay, we're going going to draw a genogram today of Joseph's family. Uh, again, it's a type of family tree, but the, the symbols show us like how things go and who had a bad relationship with whom. The genogram becomes one graphic family tree that tells a story. In fact, if you want on your way out, you can find Joseph's genogram. It's going to be on the screen behind me in just a moment, but you can find that on the way out. And I encourage you, this is a great spiritual practice, by the way, to flip it over on the back using the symbols that you just learned and draw your own genogram and find the story of God in that. Because from broken stories, uh, well, from broken families, God writes beautiful stories. So here's what we have at the very beginning of uh, Joseph's story. His uh, great-grandfather is Father Abraham. Everybody all at once, Father Abraham. He had many sons. Not really. He didn't have a ton. Uh, in fact, there was a moment where Father Abraham had zero sons. Him and Sarah were barren from the beginning. Notice the symbols. Males get a square. Females get a circle on here. Father Abraham did not have many sons, but God selected him out of in all of humanity. and says, I'm going to work my purposes, my, my perfect work of redemption for all of humanity, all of creation. I'm selecting you, Abraham. And Abraham's like, I've done nothing to deserve this. And it's true. If you read the, the book of Genesis, the way the story works is you have the Tower of Babel, everybody in all of humanity is running from God, God changes their languages, and then in all of this chaos, God's like, okay, guys, you're not going to figure it out on your own. Abraham, I choose you, or Abram at the time, he changes his name later. Abram, I choose you, and Abraham's like, okay, Sarah, let's follow this God. And so God chooses to bless him. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you, and you're going to have a ton of children, uh, and they're going to bless the nation. Abraham's like, yes, I'm going to follow you, but then he doesn't have children. He goes a long, long time. And so uh, uh, Sarah, his wife, has this great idea. Hey, I have a handmaid. I have a, a, a servant of mine. Her, her name is Hagar. I'm going to introduce you to Hagar. And so 
so we get this next slide. And so Hagar becomes a girlfriend, concubine of Abraham. Sarah's like, maybe God wants you to have children with her. And so they have a child, and this is Abraham's first child, Ishmael. Ishmael is the son of Hagar through Abraham. And then as time would move on, God says, no, actually, my plan was always through Sarah. I told you that. And so I'm going to give you now your promised son. And so Isaac is born. And so we get Isaac. And when Isaac is born, if you read this in Genesis, you notice the lines changed between Hagar and Isaac and Ishmael, that it started out kind of okay, but strife started to come between them. And what ends up happening is that Abraham sends Hagar away to protect his own marriage. He, he was put in a bind and he just dismisses an entire side of his family. So let's just begin with just a little bit of dysfunction in the story of Abraham. I haven't even mentioned the time that he tried to hide behind his wife, like, here, take my wife and protect me. That's a whole other story. This one story is Abraham's first son and the first son's mother, he dismisses and they go off into the wilderness. Uh, Ishmael, by the way, if uh, generations, if I continued his family tree, notice the dot, 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 we're focusing on Joseph. If I continue his uh, family tree, we end up with modern day Muslims and Islam. They, they, date all the way back to, to Ishmael. That's where they connect to. And so uh, Abraham, he ends up remarrying to after Sarah dies. Sarah dies uh, shortly after this story, and uh, he marries a woman named Keturah, which isn't part of our story today, but it's worth noting. But Isaac, he finds a girl that he likes, and her name is Rebecca. And so we can pull that up here. Uh, one more, please. There's Keturah. And then uh, Isaac... And Rebecca, Rebecca is cute. He thinks, hey, I'm going to make a, a, a wife out of you and we're going to do whatever God wants. And so they have children. They actually have twins. Maybe you've heard of them. Uh, Jacob and Esau are born to them. And from the very beginning, in the womb, listen, moms, if you have kids who are always fighting each other, it, it doesn't get much worse than Jacob and Esau, okay? So you're amongst friends here. Rebecca's kids are fighting in her tummy. They're fighting for who's going to be born first. They, who's it going to? to be. And so we have strife with Jacob and Esau. You won't be able to see it. Maybe click one more. Uh, there's a little red line that will come up. You can see it on the, on the printout here. Uh, Jacob, his name uh, is changed later to Israel. And so Jacob has a nickname Israel. Sometimes in Genesis, you'll hear about Father Israel, and he had uh, 12 sons. And so here's where we are now. We're now in Joseph's father's territory. We're, we're Again, our uh, genogram, our family tree, we're trying to zero in on Joseph, and we're on Jacob his dad. And Jacob meets a woman. He loves Rachel. Rachel is beautiful. She's more beautiful than all the rest of her family. Jacob is in love with Rachel and says, I want to marry Rachel. Goes to her father and says, I want to marry your daughter. And her father Laban's like, oh yeah, cool. And then he gets tricked. Uh, I won't tell you the whole story for time, but he ends up getting tricked to marrying Rachel's older, uglier sister, Leah. And so uh, we'll bring Leah up here. And so now Rachel and Leah uh, are in the story and Jacob really wanted to marry Rachel. Ends up marrying Leah first. And so immediately there's strife. Uh, Jacob has chosen a favorite wife. And so if you can bring the lines up next, please. This is uh, just to show you that the marriage to Rachel was really his favorite. Leah, he's committed to, and he has to honor the agreement and, and all of that. Uh, Rachel and Leah, uh, when they were married to Jacob, were given two, uh, a handmaid each, a, a servant to go with them each. And so we're going to meet Zilpah and Bilhah. Those are beautiful names, Zilpah and Bilhah. 
if you're named Zilpa, uh, apologies, I just don't know anybody named that. Uh, Leah brings Zilpa and Rachel brings Bilhah into their family. And so this household is now moving through the territory. And then, you know, Jacob is going to have 12 sons. And so we're going to start seeing his family grow. It begins first through Leah. His first son is born and named Reuben. So imagine for a second, you're in a household and you are the favorite wife or you have the favorite wife, but you have two wives. And out of the two wives, your least favorite is the one who starts having children first. What you're going to see is that strife starts to build up between Leah and Rachel as time goes on. Not only did Leah have the first son, Reuben, but then has the second son, Simeon, and then the third son, Levi, and then the fourth son, Judah. This is getting out of hand. The, the household is greatly imbalanced at this moment. If you're Rachel, you're beginning to think to yourself, who's going to protect me and who's going to protect my interests when Jacob dies? Where are my sons? Who can protect me? The way that family structures work is that the sons protect the mother. And so she is greatly concerned by that. So she has this great idea. Uh, I'm going to give uh, my husband Jacob my handmaid Bilhah. And so Jacob now has his fifth son, uh, Dan, which is a great uh, name. Just like all these like foreign sounding names and then Bob, the kid. <laughs> and Bilhah has the fifth son and then has the sixth son, Naphtali. I wonder where in the family tree did they learn that maybe I can help God by giving the husband the handmaid. Is that anywhere else in the family tree? They learned it from Abraham. My goodness, it lasted through the generations. But Rachel is just trying to protect her interest and grow her side of the family. If you recognize these names, by the way, if you've been around the Bible a while, you're like, I've heard of Levi before. These names end up becoming all of the tribes of Israel. And so for the entire future of Israel, all of these boys end up growing into major tribes and, and their families exist. So God is going to use these families. And so Leah, at this moment after Naphtali is born, says, oh, you gave the handmaid. Maybe Jacob likes handmaids. I've got a handmaid. Here, take Zilpah. And so Jacob uh, becomes in a relationship with Zilpah and has the seventh son, Gad, and then the eighth son, Asher. There is a lot of politicking happening in this household. They're trading husbands. They're trading. Uh, there's moments in here where Rachel's like, can I just get some food from one of your sons? And, and Leah's like, well, you know, you can, you can have a little bit of food uh, for my son, but you need to let Jacob come stay with me for a couple of weeks. And so that happens. And so then we get the ninth son of Jacob, Issachar, the 10th son of Jacob, Zebulun. Then we get the only daughter born to Jacob, Dinah, still on Leah's side of the family. Does anybody notice something missing in the family tree? Well, we're missing a guy named Joseph, aren't we? And we're missing the fact that Rachel has any blessings coming from this relationship. As time was going on, she became more and more convinced that she was barren that she had a curse placed on her from God and she did not understand her circumstances. While the family continues to grow, it's not growing from her. Guilt and shame and pain is now permeating this family. And Jacob, being the awesome husband that he is, does nothing to mitigate it. He does not comfort. He definitely shows favoritism, but he does nothing to mitigate it. But then the Lord blesses Rachel. It's a whole story around Genesis 33-ish. Uh, and the 11th son born, the one that we'll focus on today is Joseph. Joseph is born. Joseph is definitely dad's favorite son because it is the first son born to his favorite wife. Anybody 
the favorite kid in their family? <laughs> Anybody know who the favorite kid in the family is? <laughs> okay, like, like any time there is favorites, there is dysfunction and nobody's making this a secret. We'll read that in a moment. But he has one more son, a 12th son born to Rachel. Benjamin is born. And when Benjamin is born, there are complications in the delivery and Rachel passes away during childbirth. And grief hits this family hard because dad's favorite wife, the one who didn't have children until late in the game, has now died during childbirth. And dad does nothing to comfort anybody. He just turns it loose. The chaos is loose. Nobody's healing from this. The grief permeates the family and there's infighting and there's arguing. There's one side of the family that's bigger than the other side of the family and they go at odds with each other. If this sounds like any type of family you've ever been in or you've been close to or you married into, I've got great, great news for you. Listen very, very carefully. From broken beginnings, God writes beautiful stories. And the story that we celebrate today with Jesus is written at this broken beginning. And so just to get us caught up to where we are today in Genesis 37, I just want to throw up some symbols that just show some strife. Uh, three, two, one, boom. Oh, that was amazing. Uh, there are all these stories that happen right before Genesis 37. Uh, Dinah is assaulted by a man. Dad does nothing uh, to protect her or to comfort her. At the end of that, uh, Levi and uh, uh, Simeon, I believe, are the two brothers that decide I'm going to do something. And they just go on a murder spree and start slaughtering an entire neighborhood. Uh, Reuben, the oldest of all of them, ends up in, in um, uh, I'll say, a sexually abusive relationship with the concubine Bilhah. That's a whole other thing. This is a dysfunctional family. You follow me? But God writes beautiful stories from broken beginnings. If you will, uh, join me in Genesis 37. We'll read a little bit uh, and get our feet under us. What are we to know about our boy Joseph? Let's see. Here we go. Uh, verse one, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. So he moved back to the place where uh, his family's from. He's been living in Rachel's territory, Leah's territory for a while. And now he's like, okay, we're getting back over there. These are the generations of Jacob. Verse two, Joseph the 11th son born to Jacob, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, of them to their father. Uh, so what we have so far is, first of all, the family is back in home, home territory, moving back to where my family's from, right? Uh, my family, personally, uh, if you back up a few generations, we're from Alabama, or as some people from Alabama call it, Alabama. -er. And so we are from Alabama. Uh, and so if I were in this scenario, so I'm going to pack up my family, we're going to Alabama, and we're going to live there. And so uh, they're back at grandparents' territory, they're making a family, and they're tending to the flocks. This is what dad did, this is what grandpa did, this is what great-grandpa did. They're doing the family business. And if you remember all of the, the, the four family trees that are branching out of Jacob, uh, Joseph is from the line of Rachel, and he's in the, in the field with two Zilpah and Bilhah's kids, but not the other ones, because we can already read here that the family tree is not spending time with each other. There's animosity between the brothers at this point. And so as Joseph is out there in the field, he's one of the youngest that's out there, and he notices the other brothers doing something, um, whatever it is that they're doing, he doesn't like it. And dad should know. And so he's like, dad, I need to bring 
a bad report of what your sons are doing. Anybody have a tattletale in your family? Uh, anybody, like you were the tattletale. You had, to, you had to be the one to report back. This is what Joseph is doing. And scripture says that they hated him for it. Um, let's, let's continue. Verse three. Now, Israel, that's, that is Jacob. Uh, remember his name is interchangeable here. Now, Israel, Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. So not only did he love his son more and everybody knew it, he made him a coat or a robe of many colors. The, the Hebrew for that coat of many colors is ketunet pasim. Anybody, if you're on Jeopardy, you're like, hey, how do I say that? Ketunet pasim. Uh, it's important here because it's only used in two places in scripture and it's really, really hard to translate. Uh, and so it's called coat of many colors because that's what the Greeks called it. But it's more like a, a robe of royalty. It's, it's, this is rulership. Um, there are some hieroglyphics in Egypt of the Semitic people having coats with, with long sleeves. In fact, the, the, the phrase ketanet pasim means a robe with long sleeves. And it happened to have on these hieroglyphs, on the, on the paintings in this burial chamber, the Semitic people just stripes and beautiful colors. And it was meant to signify rulership and ownership. And dad has now picked a favorite. Who's his favorite? Joseph. I'm going to give you this code of rulership, this code just letting you let everybody know. So all the older brothers know, all the other, you know, moms know which child is going to get the blessing of dad at the end. And it's Joseph, this young little runt who is back tattletelling uh, against everybody else. What happens here is that Joseph uh, kind of, kind of, breaks these unspoken family rules. I, I don't know if you're aware of this, um, but Joseph wasn't supposed to tell, according to the brothers, wasn't supposed to tell dad what was going on, whatever they were doing. They were probably starting fires in the field. I did that once when I was a kid and somebody told on me, it's like, you're not supposed to tell. Uh, but again, at 12 years old, I'm not supposed to start fires in the field either. Um, Joseph sees the brothers doing something and he breaks these unspoken rules. I wonder, do you have any unspoken rules in your family growing up? Um, can you identify what they are? It, it may be helpful for you to know because the unspoken rules really changes the way that we interact with our supervisors and our coworkers and our spouses. It changes the way we interact with people because if we don't put our hand on the steering wheel, we just operate under these unspoken rules. And so I wonder if you could fill in the rest of this sentence. In my family growing up, we always or we never did blank. In my family growing up, we always did blank. Or in my family growing up, we never did blank. How, how, would, you, how would you fill out those blanks? I have a few examples here. In my family growing up, we never ignored each other when we were mad. That would be a, a nice, sweet family, right? In, in my family growing up, we never disrespected adults. We just wouldn't because the flip-flops come off and the wooden spoons come out and all the things. But we just didn't. We didn't respect our adults. What, are, what about some of the negative traits? In my family growing up, we never talked about our feelings at all. We weren't allowed to talk about our feelings. Uh, in my family growing up, you might say, we never asked for help from anyone. We were, we were not allowed to ask for help. We would suffer quietly or we would just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but we never asked for help. Uh, in my family growing up, we never apologized or showed signs of weakness. It's just, we, we would have a fight, we would argue, and when it was over, it was just like, I never own it. It was just, we just move on. We just sweep it under the rug. I wonder, I wonder how you would fill out these blanks. And by the way, these are just random. I'm not actually talking about my family, although I could point at a few of these perhaps. In my family growing up, we always respected each other's boundaries. We kind of knew how to take care of each other and we just, we didn't cross boundaries. 
In my family growing up, we gave hugs and we showed affection. It's just what we did. When we brought friends over, they would hug mom and call her mom, just whatever. Like it, we, that's what we always did. That's what we always had. Maybe you would say in my family growing up, we always kept secrets from each other. It just was a lot of behind the scenes stuff happening. In my family growing up, we always went to our rooms when dad got home. We, we just didn't know which kind of mood dad was going to be in. So we just learned to get out of the way. In my family growing up, we just always went to our room when dad got home. When in my family growing up, you might say we always had a lot of pressure on us to make our family look good. And no matter what we did, whatever behaviors we did, they didn't matter as much as our performance and how it made our parents look good or bad, our family look good or bad. This is a truth. Every family has unspoken rules. Some are healthy and some are unhealthy. If we identify them as adults, we can put our hands on the steering wheel and we can make choices. But if we pretend that we don't have those rules governing our lives and we're just oblivious to them, they steer us whether we like it or not. And so my encouragement to you is to put your hand on the steering wheel. Um, I will speed up now. I'm, I'm spending too much time on this. So Joseph is having problems with his family. He's breaking the rules, uh, verse four, but uh, he, he just gets this robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the, his other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. It is a problem when you can't even talk to each other. They can't, they can't, um, have a conversation at this moment. Uh, Jacob, he does nothing about this. Dad does nothing about this. Mainly, he probably thinks it's not a problem. Here, here's what I'm gonna tell you. If you have people in your life that you can't speak peacefully to, that is your problem, not theirs, okay? That is a problem with our heart when it's us that can't speak peacefully to each other. You're like, Jesse, it's a broad stroke. How can you say this? First John tells me this. If you uh, just hold your spot here, go to First John uh Chapter two, verse nine says, whoever says he is in the light. Now, John is saying like in the light is like where you're supposed to be in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Keep going, please. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him, there is no cause for stumbling. Verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The brothers hate Joseph at this moment, but they're so sure of their own rightness. If they had 1 John's writings, we would be able to tell them, when you have hate, you're walking in darkness. You don't know where you're going yet, but you think you do. You think you're right. You think you know how best to handle a situation, but you do not. And so if we have hate in our heart, that's more of a, a problem on us. Let me tell you where this story goes uh, as, we, as we land the plane for today. Verse 5. It says, now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Ah, oh, I hate this guy. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. I love, I love how they talked in the Old Testament. Brothers, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. Anybody have a weird dream? You have no idea what it means. We're just out there doing a normal thing, binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and it stood upright, shoulders back, looked strong. And behold, your sheaves, they gathered around it and they bowed down to my sheaf. <laughs> Isn't that great, brothers? And they're like, no, I hate you, man. Uh, verse eight, his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Poor Joseph, uh, he's breaking those unspoken rules. You're not supposed to dream a dream that's outside of our narrative. 
You know, some of us, we grow up in families and we have dreams of where we're going to go and how we're going to accomplish it. They're dreams that maybe we create, but then your family will punish us if they don't fit the narrative of what we're told is supposed to be when we're breaking those unspoken rules. Now, in Joseph's defense, this isn't him just like waking up one day and wanting like, I just want to get out of here and I want you guys to bow down to me. God gave him this vision. So it's a completely different scenario. But, you know, sometimes we're in situations where our dreams are causing us strife and our siblings and our family, just they don't dig it as much. But, you know, Joseph didn't learn his lesson. Verse nine, he has another dream. Then he dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. You guys want to hear it? Like, Be quiet, Joseph. I don't want to hear your dreams. But he continues. He says, behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father, now he includes dad now, and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother, who has passed away at this moment, shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father, kept the saying in mind. His dad keeps thinking about it. And so Joseph is telling these dreams and he's just not getting the, the picture that he needs to stop talking. And every time he tells a dream, they hate him more and more and more. So how's this going to go? Like how, how is Joseph's life, what trajectory is it on? Well, you're going to have to come back next week and you're going to have to, have to listen. Or, you know, if you're like, hey, I don't want to, you can just read your own stinking Bible and, and figure out how, how, this, how this goes. But I'll just tell you, um, this is just the beginning of the bumps in Joseph's life because the family dysfunction is going to try to correct his functioning. The family dysfunction is going to try to put Joseph in his place and he's going to pay a high price. There's going to be a murder plot. People are going to be sold into slavery. It gets hairy. But from broken beginnings, God writes beautiful stories. That God isn't ignoring Joseph. God hasn't forgotten Joseph in his plight. And so what, what I want to do is, is just kind of highlight a few things moving forward is many people stop moving forward when they face resistance because they want to keep peace. They stop pushing the envelope because they want to keep peace and they don't want conflict. Listen to me, families, um, the absence of conflict is often the cause of the problems. There is no relationship in this world that is completely conflict-free. You either resolve the conflict or the, 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 the avoidance of the conflict becomes a bigger problem. Jacob avoided the conflict of his grief, avoided the conflict of favoritism in his family, and so did his dad and so did his grandpa. It was a family trait to avoid conflicts. Joseph is going to find that through the arc of his story that he ends up addressing all of the conflict with his brothers. You may be in a position to begin handling conflict in your family and so heal the family tree. Joseph had a lot of unspoken rules. Good family rules are good and helpful. Bad family rules are bad and they injure the family. And so how do you know the difference between your family rules? Are they good and helpful or are they bad and hurtful? Um, just a quick thought is, do you have hard, calm conversations in your family or is easy silence or easy, loud arguments more the norm? When, when there's a problem, do you just talk it out or does everybody start yelling or does everybody just ignore it and pretend it doesn't happen? One of those is healthy and the others are not. Um, do you find in your family that you have duplicate conflicts over long periods of time? Or maybe you find that the conflicts are the same as your parents and your grandparents, that they just keep kind of coming back. If you find that you're recycling conflicts, it's time for you to do something to break that family tree and to heal from that. Um, Joseph... You know, he had, he had a lot of, of resistance uh, along the way. At the end of all of this mess, here's how, here's how he 
lands the plane. And we're going to spend the rest of our series trying to figure out how he came to this conclusion. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 says this. He's looking at his brothers late in life. He's now an adult. All of the chaos is over. He's about to end. Chapter 50 is the last chapter of Joseph. And he tells his brothers, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. It may be that this week, this series, you becoming aware of family dysfunction and function in your family is the beginning of God showing you what he's going to do through you and your family. Because from broken beginnings, God writes beautiful stories. Here, we're going to close it with this. Um, if you can put up that, that last slide, uh, I want to I want to talk to you. If you come from a broken family, um, just know that that's the whole point of this story. The whole Bible is that from broken beginnings, God makes beautiful stories. But that beauty is going to come on His terms. It's going to be because you put your hands on the wheel and you did the hard work that He's inviting you to do, and He's inviting you to heal from, and He's inviting you to incorporate into your family. Your family tree can be changed by God, but it's not. We're not talking like magic fairy dust here. We're talking about hard work, and He may open your eyes to some things along the way that you want to address, and you can, and you can begin to see that beautiful story uh, come out. If you come from a beautiful family. From broken beginnings, God writes beautiful stories. And you're sitting here like, you know, I've done, my family's really, really good. I just want to encourage you to know this. That, that doesn't exist independently of some brokenness in your family tree. In fact, if you were to look at your family tree, I don't think you would look very far before you realized that generation, that grandparent changed everything about my family tree, changed everything about what I've been going through, changed everything about this. You should first be very thankful that the Lord has written a beautiful story that you are enjoying now today, okay? Um, the second thing I wanna say about this is what I found is that a lot of Christians, when they're talking about testimony, when they're talking about God, they, they, they get to this point, it's like, oh, man, my family wasn't jacked up. I don't really have a testimony. Stop saying that. Stop doing that to yourself. Somewhere along the way, we became convinced that unless I spent 20 years in prison, overcame a drug addiction, and like got into four fights and a gunshot wound, I don't have a testimony that God can use. And that's first, ridiculous. And two, every parent in here, don't you want your kids to have none of those things in their testimony? We want our kids to have beautiful stories. And their testimony, your testimony, if that is you, should be, I just grew up always knowing God was good. And always knowing that he was beautiful, that is our hope. Uh, at the end of second service, if you want to come back, we're going to be baptizing um, Eden uh, Batayong, uh, RJ and Kendall Batayong's uh, child. And as it would happen, I was working on this message and just independently of those two things being true, um, RJ had a quote that he said, he didn't even know that I wrote it down, uh, a year, over a year ago, he was giving his testimony. And he was saying, you know, I just came from a good family and I used to think I didn't have a testimony. And he said this, he said, he said, Jesus paid the same price for my story as he did any other story. And it was a high, high price. It's time for me to start telling the story that Jesus paid for. If you come from a beautiful story, your testimony is one of beauty and peace and strength and strong power. We, the church, need to hear that story and stop discounting it because you didn't have a drug addiction that you overcame.
From Broken Beginnings, God writes beautiful stories and we're gonna see how this beautiful story is written for Joseph. I kept you five over, uh, forgive me, uh, or you know, throw me into slavery, what they do to Joseph, whatever. Uh, I'll pray for you and then uh, we'll watch the, don't throw me into slavery, we'll watch the queue together. Father, uh, this morning, I thank you for beautiful stories. I thank you for the story of Joseph that um, in a family as dysfunctional as his, you chose to do your work. Um, May that be an encouragement to every person in this room and every person hearing my voice that you're willing to do hard work and willing to write beautiful stories when we see nothing but broken pieces around us. Help us to, to grow in this faith that you will and you can. Help us to have the courage to do the hard work you invite us to. And uh, may, we, may we see with firsthand knowledge the beautiful story that you're writing in us through Jesus. Um, and as it, as, it, as it grows in us, uh, we pass it on to friends, family, and our children. We love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.